0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. I I shared a word at my church this last Sunday um, that that I've never shared before. So today you're not hearing some like nine-year-old rewarmed sermon I felt like preaching. Okay? Um, and I shared this last Sunday very deep to me, and I was talking a lot this week. I was like, what are we going to share? He's like, what would you share on Sunday? And I, and I shared it, and he was like, would you please do that Sunday? Yes. Yes. So, under assignment, uh, I'm going to share something I would never share as a guest at any other church. I would never share this sermon when I shared at my church at a church somewhere else. Outside of a church I felt like family at. Yes. And so today I'm going to share from my heart some things that um, I want you to see. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew Matthew chapter twenty six. Uh, it's a pretty famous story. Um, if you are a church person, if you're not today, and like this is your first time ever being in church and very new to this environment, man, it's our honor to have you. Thank you for being here. Um, and if you are new to this, man, this is a, is a good house to get plugged in and join. And I know maybe Christian karaoke was too much for you and. Uh, maybe this is so overwhelming to you if you're not a church person, but we love that you're here. It's our honor to have you. Thank you for being here. And if you're not a church person, Matthew chapter 26 is a pretty famous story. If you are a church kid, uh, you've heard this story shared. I want to I bring some things out that maybe you've never seen before. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, it's going to be on the screen for you as well. Matthew 26, it says this, and then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, He said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief, even to the point of death. It's where we get the phrase, sick to death from, by the way. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he turned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus then left a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, let your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping again, for they could not keep their eyes open, or the ESV says, for they had heavy eyes. Verse 44, so he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Let's pray as we jump into Matthew chapter 26. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every single person on the side of my voice. God, you have. Father, you've been here all day. God, your presence has been tangible and evident. God, I pray not just that you would speak corporately today in the room, that you would speak individually to every heart and season right now. God, I do not know every human in this room. I don't know every season in this room, but Father, you know. You know the times and the space they live in, God. Would you speak? Holy Spirit, I pray that I would not be the only preacher today. Holy Spirit, would you be the preacher today? To every heart, every mind, every soul, would you take my words and drive them in people's hearts and minds, and you be the ultimate preacher today. We thank you for it in your mighty, mighty name I pray. Everyone said. <clears throat> First week of October, I was preaching at a conference. Father Lyle was there, and his brother Spencer was there, and, and we we're hanging out. And I got done preaching. I got off my session and went to the side of the church building, and I'll get later in the sermon to where I was standing it's very significant to me but I was over to the side of the worship next speaker is going worships going that next session is about to start and I'm over there praying and talking to the Lord and then once again, if you're nearer to this you're like oh that sounds very spiritual that's not a pastor thing that's a christian thing he wants to talk to you as well and so I'm over there talking to the Lord and and he just I, I just felt like the the spirit in in my, in my spirit I was like how are you doing I was like good how are you <laughs> like very subtle like great how you doing and I was like, oh, my life is great, like, Julia is awesome, and my kids are amazing, and my oldest son, we have a 10, 8, and 2-year-old, my oldest son, Cruz, is very good at soccer, scored five goals yesterday, um, no big deal, but I was like, Cruz is good at soccer, because I'm, thank-, thank God he's not bad, because if he was bad, I couldn't go to his games, um, I just couldn't bear it upon my soul, I couldn't do it, um, I was like, God, I thank you for Cruz, I thank you for Quinn, and Rhodes, and my... Julia and the church is growing hand over fist right now. And I'm just going through all this stuff. And like mid-sentence as I'm sharing, just mid-sentence just came out. Like, Julia's good and church is good. And I was like, and my heart really hurts. And I just kept going. And I felt the Lord be like, hey, what? Time out, time out. Go back real quick. And I was like, what? Church is good? He's like, no, before that. I was like, Julia's good? No, before that. And I come back, I'm like, yeah, my heart really hurts. And as I said it out loud, Something begins to happen inside my soul and in my, inside my spirit. And I felt the Lord say back to me, you have finally admitted it so we can address it. Because you know this, right? What you constantly cover can't be healed. Right? So, so I, I'm like, oh, my heart really hurts. And now, when I spoke this sermon last weekend at home, my church knows why my heart hurts. But so I wanna fill you into context of the last nine months of my life. Nine months ago, my, I have three sisters. My oldest sister, the one right above me, um, uh, died last August. She drank herself to death in her apartment. She was a heroin addict for 10 years, got clean a couple different times, but she drank herself to death having dinner at her home alone. We found her in her apartment dead last August. After that, uh, somebody very close to me at the church, at 29 years old, died of stomach cancer out of nowhere. Um, 29 years old, married, had a one-year-old. I was the last person to see him alive outside of his wife in their home. He passed away. Uh, another really good friend of mine lost their baby at 22 weeks old. Uh, another lady at our church who's very involved, her youngest son commits suicide. Um, A few other things happened. And it was a very, very difficult nine months to be dying on the inside, but get on stage every Sunday preaching about hope. It's very difficult to live in this dichotomy between I'm dying, but the church is thriving. And getting on every Sunday and every stage and every staff meeting and every phone call and it was a very, very difficult nine months and I started just reliving it and talking to the Lord and I was like, God, my heart hurts. My heart hurts from the season that I've experienced as a pastor and a leader and as a brother and as you know, my, my wife, you know, other things I don't wanna talk about, but it's very, very difficult as a human, let alone a pastor. And I'm just like, God, my, my heart hurts. And, and he was like, yeah, I, I've been there too. And I was like, Jesus, when have you been there? We're outside the cross. Like, what are you? Like, outside that little moment. Um, outside that. What, when have you been there? And the Holy Spirit in that moment brought my mind back, back to Matthew 26. I start reading this story about Jesus who was in a garden named Gethsemane. If you don't know, the term Gethsemane in Greek means oil press. Or a place of crushing or a place of squeezing. Yeah. And as I read Matthew 26 and started diving into Gethsemane, I was like, that's where I've lived. I've been in the garden of Gethsemane. I feel like life is being squeezed. I feel like I'm being pressed. It feels like I'm in this oil press and life is squeezing me right now. I was like, Jesus, that's I identify with that. I feel like I have been in Gethsemane. And this is what's so hard. And, and, and a little difficult to explain, I do feel like it'll be prophetic for many of you in the room, it's this. I was not in physical Gethsemane, I was in emotional Gethsemane. Because on paper, my life is awesome. I'm married with three kids and a growing church and the best friends in the world. Like my life on paper or physically is thriving, but I'm dying. And it was this weird dichotomy between experiencing a thriving life and a dying soul. And this duality between, like, my life is awesome, but why? my life is great, why am I not great? Why is my soul crushed within me? So I think many of you in the room that might have been experiencing physical Gethsemane lately, but you, not physical, but you've been experiencing emotional Gethsemane. And by the way, I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse, physical Gethsemane or emotional now, as I was praying through Matthew 26, I really felt like, man, we live in a generation that prays for more oil but refuses to be squeezed. We, we live in an era that wants more checks without more work. We live in an era that wants more titles without more consistency. We, we live in a generation that wants without giving. Specifically, spiritually, we pray for more oil. We pray for change. We pray... For new versions of ourselves, and then God starts squeezing, and we think it's the enemy, not God. Like, why is my life being squeezed? Why am I being pressed? It's like you prayed for more. You prayed to change. You just don't like how I'm using it to bring about what? Oil. Pressing, squeezing. For what is it, C.S. Lewis, says, God forbid there's a Christianity without a cross. Like we, we want more oil, but refuse to be squeezed. And I'm reading this moment of Jesus in the garden, and I just felt as clear as day in my spirit. Jesus tell me, watch how I endured my garden so you can endure yours. And I think prophetically as well, for myself, even like, because I was like, Jesus, this is like, the stuff I was bringing up was like nine months ago. It's not like I'm living in the garden. I feel like I have exited the garden and reflecting on what just happened. Because friends, you must, you must hear this. If you don't reflect, you will repeat. So I think that many of us, we are leaving the garden. We're on our way into a new season. We're on our way out of the garden. New days are ahead. The morning is gone. The morning is coming. The night has left. The morning is coming. Like you were on your way out into a new season and if we're not careful, we will leave the garden not reflect, and take nothing from it. Because I don't know about you, if I have to go through the garden, I want my oil. If I have to go through it, I am taking something with me. I will not leave empty-handed. I will not leave. If I have to go through it, I want something from it. But if you don't reflect, you will be bound to repeat. And Jesus is so annoying. He will make you repeat tests you keep failing. He's a good teacher, and he will have you repeat tests until you pass them. I don't want to go through that again. So I started looking through Matthew 26 on what it means to live in this garden, this emotional Gethsemane, and I, I, I found four things that I believe that Jesus wants to show us that we can take from his life and that he endured his garden that we might endure ours. Let me pastor you for a moment as one of the pastors on staff here. Give me a moment. I want you to draw four things out from Matthew 26. Number one, what is Jesus teaching us? Number one, Jesus is teaching us how to be human. Jesus is teaching us how to be human. Jesus takes these men to the garden and he says to them, my soul is crushed. Even to despair, and by the way, that Greek word despair is depression. Like he is depressed, he is in despair. He is anguished, he is crushed. It's not like he's having a bad day. He didn't have a hangnail, he didn't stub his toe, someone didn't steal his lunch money. Like, he's not just having a bad day. Yeah. By the way, this is Thursday night. He, he will be betrayed by Judas here in the next few verses. Yeah. Dies Friday, res- so this is this moment. And Jesus says out loud to his disciples, I am not well. I want to ask you, when did the church divorce our humanity from our Christianity? Like as if when you become Christian, you cease being human. And I love, I, I love new believers. If you're not a Christian in this room, I love you so much. Please don't learn church lingo. It's horrible. But I love like brand new believers that are still honest. And they, like, unfortunately interact with an older saint on the way to church. And they're like, how are you today, brother? And you're like, horrible. Life sucks. Marriage isn't doing well. Money's not working. I don't know where Jesus is at all. I have been like church lately. And they start being real honest. And then the older saints are like, what? Brother. Uh, he, no, he's on the throne. No, no, sister, you're saved. Sanctified and Resurrected? You no, know, like what? Because where did we get? Where do we go about losing our humanity among, among our Christianity that we're now? Because we're Christian, we're no longer allowed to be human and be honest about our current moment and state of our soul. If Jesus is allowed to be honest about his soul, why is it a lack of faith for me to be honest about mine? Like, as if you are a better human than Jesus. How are you? Awesome. I'm floating through this trial. Oh, yes, darkness may come through the night, but morning is coming. Like, come on, man, you're dying. No, I'm not. I remember when my dad was dying of cancer, a guy came up to me, he's like, your dad's not sick. He is well. And I was like, you're stupid. I was like 24, so. Like, you're dumb. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, my dad is sick. He's dying of cancer. No! Brother, confess he's healed. Why is it that honesty about current emotions equates to a lack of faith, not deeper faith? Not to insult your theological disposition and intelligence, but come to remind you Jesus is God, Yahweh in human flesh, God with bones on, right? God with the face, he's God. And he says, and he admits, I'm not well, okay, being God, meaning he's omniscient, omni being all, where we we get the word science from, he's all-knowing. And so, therefore, he knows he's going to be resurrected. He knows it's going to be okay. Okay. He knows he's going to defeat death. He knows, Romans 8, 28, God's going to work it out for good. He knows. And yet, he's still allowed to be honest right now. So could it be that Jesus is showing us, even though you know the future is going to be okay, you're allowed to not be okay right now. Why did Jesus weep when Lazarus died knowing he was going to resurrect him? He knows what he's about to do. He knows he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. And yet he still shows. Right now, though, this is painful right now. And I will weep, knowing when my closest friends just died, knowing in about 30 minutes he's gonna be right here in front of me. So I can know the future. I know Romans 8:28. God's gonna work it out for those who love him. I know God is good. I know we win in the end. I know that his goodness is evident. I know that his grace is sufficient. I know. And I'm also allowed to not be okay in this moment, knowing I will be okay tomorrow, but today's still real. Jesus is showing us how to be human. In other words, Jesus is liberating the human heart to be human. He's showing us in his deepest moment And by the way, to kind of throw a bomb in your lap that you need to unpack the next few days of your devotions, how often do Christians treat prayer as a as a hiding place from reality? You show up to your prayer closet, Father, it's me. I want to thank you for how good my life is. And God's like, you're a liar. Like we think that prayer is our spiritual escape into a false reality to leave this one. Prayer is not our escape from reality. Prayer is where we go to face reality. Prayer is not where we go to run away. It's where we go to run to. You know that the difference between isolation and solitude is isolation, you're running from people, and solitude, you're running to someone. We're not called to isolation, but we are called to solitude. Because isolation is where you run from people. Solitude is where you run to someone. First and foremost, what is Jesus showing us? How to be human. Number two. Jesus is not only showing us how to be human. Number two, he's showing us relational wisdom. Relational wisdom. Let me unpack that for you for a moment. The Bible says Judas is left, right? So the 12 has become 11. Judas is left to go find the Roman centurions. He's gone. Moments from now, we'll see Judas come back with betrayal. So there's the 11. The Bible makes it very clear in Matthew 26 that Jesus tells the 11, stay here, pray for me. I'm going over there. And then he brings the three, Peter, James, and John. When he brings the three, into the inner garden, that is when he says, my soul is crushed within me. Jesus does not tell the 11, my soul is crushed. He tells them, pray for me. Then he brings the three in, Peter, James, and John, and he tells them, my soul is crushed within me. What is Jesus showing us? Not everybody deserves to know everything. If you want to make your garden worse, if you want to make your garden last longer than it ever should, if you want to make your garden more dramatic than it was ever meant to be, tell the wrong people right things. You've got to know this. Just because people have a place in your life does not mean they deserve a voice in your ear. It's called relational boundaries. And every counselor said amen. It's called having... Circles of intimacy. Jesus does not lie to the 11. He gives them generic honesty. Pray for me. About what? Just pray. We need some details. No, you want gossip. That's not the same. We want, hey, no, we need, we need some details. No, just pray for me. Just pray for me. And then he brings the three and tells them, my soul is crushed within me. Have you found your three yet. Now, right about now, this is not the moment in time right after church is over to go to the lobby and go to somebody you've known for three Sundays. Will you be my Peter? <laughs> Will you be my James? Will you be my John? Like, Brother, I met you last Sunday. I'm not your Peter. <laughs> Hear me. The three are revealed. They're often not chosen. The, the, the three are often th- things that uh, people that God reveals to us. It's not just three that you choose. I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. Some of my three, I would have never chosen. They're not like me at all. We had very different lives, but they've become Peter, James, and John to me. But I would have not chosen them naturally. But God weaved us together, woven us together spiritually. That God is revealing you're what? Peter, James, and John. Reverse a few chapters earlier. What happens when Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration? The Bible says God shows up and the heavens are ripped open and then Moses and Elijah show up, which we don't have time to theologically unpack that at all. And they show up. And then the Bible says that God's glory is so, so real that Jesus' face shines like snow or like wool. Like he is emanating the glory of God. Who's there? Peter, James, and John. So how do you start identifying these three people? It's those who can see your face glow and those who can see your soul bleed out. It is both ends. These three people can not only see you at your mountain. They can not only see you when your face is shining from God's goodness. They can also see you when your face is in the dirt, weeping about your soul being crushed and your soul being anguished and you being in distress. It's those that can see your highest moments and your lowest moments. Have you found your three yet that God is revealing to you relational wisdom? And by the way, what I think is so interesting too, the Bible gives us great detail that Jesus said to them, my soul's not well. You know what did not happen? Peter, James, and John, we're not like, okay, Lord, we're your accountability partners and it's time for us to have a check-in. It's been about 10 days, Lord, since our last check-in. And we'd like to ask as your accountability partners, how are you doing? And then Jesus goes, oh, thank you for checking in. My soul's not well. No, 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 no. Fake Christian accountability is you always waiting for someone else to check in on you. Children think like that. Nine-year-olds think like that. Well, you know, if they really cared, they'd call me. You know, like if you know I told Michelle and I told Sarah and Bliss and you know I told Brian and the other Brian and I told the pastors and you know I told everyone on staff, but no one's no one's ever checked in on me. You know, I it's really really weird. I'm just waiting. when my marriage has falling apart. I'm just waiting. When my finances being drained because I'm a horrible financial planner. I'm just waiting. What are you waiting for? People to check in on you? That is false accountability. Real accountability is when you tell on yourself. Jesus told them, I'm not well right now. That's when you as a grown adult, I won't have to blank there for you to fill the word in, pick up your phone and call your accountability people. Hey, I'm not well right now. I need you to check in on me. Man, my marriage is not doing well. I made some bad decisions last night. I need you to come see me. I need to get out of this house. You need to come meet with my kids. Man, Something's going on my business. I made some poor decisions last night. Account, Christian or biblical accountability is when you bear your soul to them. You don't just wait for someone to check in on you. And by the way, there's no service after this, so I'm just letting it all out. You know this, right? You only get advice on the information you share. Well, did they bring it up? No, weirdly enough. They never said anything about it. But they told you to move? Yeah, they told you to move. But you didn't say that you like lost all your money and da, da, da. No, that didn't really come up. Oh. Oh, one time a guy in the church was going to counseling because he cheated on his wife. And I got them in counseling, we were praying for him, and and then and then like I saw him a few months later. He's like, bro, like he says we're good to go. Who said you're good to go? Oh, counselor. Wow. Have you has it been brought up yet that you cheated on your wife? No, has it hasn't come up yet? Oh. Have you considered the counselor you get as only as healthy as the information you give? <laughs> well, I'm waiting for him to ask. Why? Children do that. Children play hide and seek. Children do that. Adults tell on themselves. I need to talk to you. I need to share some stuff. I don't want you to find out. I want to tell you. I want you to hear it all from me. Jesus gives information. He doesn't just show us how to be human. He's showing us how to live in relational wisdom. He does not tell the 11. He tells the three. Number three. Bearded wonder, come on up. Legacies, Chris Stapleton, join me. (laughs) The holy and sanctified Chris Stapleton himself. Bro, I'm so excited for your new album releasing on Friday. Higher is a great album. (laughs) The third, and this is where I want to land. The crux of the message. All that was just introduction. The third thing that Jesus is showing us in this text is, is teach us, you will be let down. Come on, friends, let's stop being intellectually blind. Read the story. The Bible says he shares his soul. I'm not well, I'm dying, I'm cross, I'm distressed, I'm depressed. He tells the three, goes to pray, comes back to not people interceding for him. He comes back to people sleeping. I'm sorry if I'm Jesus. And thank the Lord I'm not. But if I'm Jesus, I'll come back. Are you for real right now? I just told you the state I'm in. I just told you my soul was crushed. I just told you I'm dying within. And you have the audacity to fall asleep on me? I would say stuff like this. This is just me. I would say stuff like, after all I've done for you, after how many times I've been there for you, after all the awake phone calls I did for you, you sleep on me. After all the times I showed up for you, you disappeared for me. This is just me, stuff I would say. For real, Peter? James and John. The Bible says he gets let down. He gets discouraged. You guys can't sit for an hour? You can even last an hour, Peter, and pray for me. Back to my... Story in October, I met. I was talking about this at all, really publicly, and you can delete this from the sermon. But there's a reason my, my dad is here all the time. It's the reason why me and Lau are friends. There's a reason why I left my dad's church 10 years ago to go start Rose. And what's so difficult is why I'm reading this text in Matthew 26. I'm standing in the building that let me down. I'm in my dad's church, old church. He's obviously not there anymore. Goes to Rose. <laughs> Which is an interesting relationship. So I'm, I'm reading a story about someone being disappointed and those who should have been there for him in a building where I have been disappointed. Because there's a scene of our marriage 10 years ago where my dad was dying of cancer. Julia's dad went to prison for child molesting. I just did one of my best friend's baby's funeral at two months old. His son died at two and a half months old. Just did his son's funeral. My pastor, Jack Lohman, my dad's best friend on this planet, just died of ALS. I'm 25 years old. I have a two-year-old and a newborn. And I left thinking how let down I was. I'm 25 years old. Where were you guys? I start naming people. I expected more from you. I expected more from you. You should have been there for me. uh, You knew everything going on, yet you didn't call me one time. I'm going down this list. And in this month ago, October 3rd, I'm reading this text, and God said to me, you need to let them go. I was like, what? Who go? Like I didn't know. (laughs) Who are you talking about? (laughs) Who, Lord? (laughs) Starts naming them down the list. He says, it's time to let him go. I said, like, why? He's like, because. Go to Luke 22. So, like, okay, i go to Luke 22. It's the same story. But there's one sentence in Luke 22 that's not in Matthew 26. Luke 22 gives account that when Jesus finds them sleeping and he goes back to pray again, an angel came. And the Bible says in Luke 22, an angel came and ministered to Jesus. I guess I'm reading Luke 22. I was like, why do I have to let them go? He's like, because Andrew, you were expecting heavenly help from earthly vessels. What you wanted from them, they could have never given you. And it's time to let them go because they did their best. And what you were looking for, they didn't even possess to give you in the first place. Your anger was correct, but your expectations were not. One thing that Jesus is showing us in this text, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to go through the garden? is being let down by people you thought should have been there for you. But the reality is they didn't let you down. They were being human as well. And they fell asleep on you. And what's does the Bible say? Jesus doesn't yell. He goes, like, get up. He goes, sleep. Forget you guys. I'm gonna go talk to my father. Because you've been trying to talk to everybody else but him. you weren't isolated, you weren't kicked up. Man, I was going through this, they didn't call me, and they didn't text me, they didn't check in. It wasn't because they were rejecting you, it's because God was pulling you to himself. Well, they're not talking to me, come talk to me. You've said it to everybody else but me, come talk to me. Maybe Peter, James, and John fell asleep on you, not out of rejection, out of invitation, for God to invite you to himself. Now I want to talk to Peter, James, and John. They can't do it. Your father's waiting to talk to you. Because there are some journeys that only you can go on. You can have your 11, God bless them. You can have your three, how needed. But there are some seasons even the three can't come. And you have to go in by yourself. Because I think sometimes Christians use community as isolation between them and God actually. You think you're super spiritual because you spend so much time with people. You call it community. God calls it running. Because you don't want to spend alone time with God because you know he's going to ask you, how are you doing? Peter, Jim, John, how do you think I'm doing? I didn't ask them. I want to talk. I'll go meet with Michelle. No, I didn't say that. Well, Allison's too busy. Good. Come talk to me. My connect lawyer didn't text me back. Good. Come talk to me and what you thought was people leaving you. But in prophetic 2020 memory, you're now realizing they didn't leave you, God was inviting you into a conversation that was only for you and him. And I'm standing there in that corner of that sanctuary, letting go, name by name, hear me, That I deserve an apology I'll never receive. So letting go is not receiving your apology, letting go is letting them go. Well, I deserve an apology. Sure. Let them go. Because you are wanting heavenly help from broken vessels. And what you needed in that moment or in this moment, they do not possess to give you also side note who preaches the first sermon in the history of the church peter who fell asleep on jesus i'm so thankful that god still uses people to fall asleep on him Because if we're honest, I've fallen asleep in some seasons. I've fallen asleep in some moments. I've fallen asleep on God more times than I will admit. There's some seasons where I've just got, my my eyes got heavy, my spirit got heavy, my mind got weak, and I just fell asleep. But I'm so thankful we serve a God that even though there are moments that you sleep on him, he still equips, calls, and anoints those who fall asleep on him. So, if Jesus still uses people that fell asleep on him, why can't you? You will be let down if you have false expectations. you will be let down you will be let down number 4 not only is he teaching us how to be human he's teaching us relational wisdom he's teaching us we w- we will be let down with false expectations fourth he's teaching us your true confession will be revealed will be revealed what does jesus say I don't want to do this, but your will be done. How many times? Three times. (laughs) Who's about to deny him three times? So Jesus already accepted his three times before Peter even failed his three times. He says three times, I don't want this but your will be done. Yeah. Yeah. So back to my point of being human. God does not mind your honesty as long as surrender comes with it. He says, I don't want this. I don't want it, but your will. Yeah. Yeah. Comes back again. I don't want it, but your will. Yes, God wants you to be human with your honesty as long as surrender comes with your honesty. And not, it's easy to surrender once. Yeah, surrendered a couple years ago. That's the last time you had to surrender? What's tough is surrendering over and over and over. Again, I always ask this, Gabe. I always ask this in my mind. Why in the world did Jesus put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden? The middle, the Bible says. Why not put it to the end of the garden so I never have to see it? Put it to the end of the garden, Jesus, so I never have to witness. What I can't touch. Why did he put it in the middle of the garden? So that Adam and Eve every day would have to walk by and go, Your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. Again, your will, not mine. He put it in the middle so that every single day they had to surrender again. Your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. And what does Adam do in the garden? Takes his will. So, what does Jesus do in his garden? Surrenders his will. Because he is the better Adam. He is the perfect Adam. He is the holy Adam. And when the first Adam took his will, the second Adam lays his will. The first Adam ruined our life by a tree. The second Adam saves our life by a tree. The first Adam, what happened when Eve passed the fruit? The Bible says in Genesis 3, she passed the fruit. What does Jesus do the night before he dies? Passes the bread. It was passing of food that got us kicked out of the garden and it's passing of food that welcomes us back in. Where the first fruit kicked us out, the second food welcomes us back. It's called communion. There's a reason why the early church took communion every single time they gathered because the cross is an unsaved person's altar call. Communion is a Christian altar call. Communion is when you come back to the table every week and repent of the week long disobedience, that you come back again. You know, you know what the garden really does? Squeezes out your true confession. Spouses, you know this. When you're in deep argument and you say, I knew it! Why? Because squeezing reveals how you actually feel. How you actually feel. And what does Jesus say? I don't want it, but your will. If you haven't had this surrender lately, you probably stopped following. So th- this is what I think immature Christians believe. We think disobedience is walking backward. Sometimes disobedience is staying where you're at. We think disobedience is walking the other way and quitting. Oh no! Sometimes disobedience is just stop following. I'm okay here. Look how far I've come. Look how much I've changed. But I'm okay right here. That's still a statement of disobedience that you have stopped following. You've stopped continuing on this walk with Jesus. And for nine months, I had to get up every Sunday and preach broken. Every Sunday, I had to lift every head when mine was down. Every staff meeting, I had to lead people into the darkness where I don't know where we're going. And act like we did I did. Week in and week out. I remember one time I was just done. I was my, I was done when my best friends go, how do you keep doing it every Sunday? I know I had to sit back, I was like, because it's not about me. It's not about me. I'm not allowed to get on stage and make this church about me. Because I refuse to let my season thwart my assignment. Yes. Yes. Jesus's season was to be broken, but his assignment was to drink the cup. What was the cup? The cross, death. The Bible says in Isaiah that he was so mutilated we couldn't tell if he was human or animal. Like he knows what's coming. Could you imagine if he just goes, I I don't want to drink it? We, We would not have a thing called salvation. So, in principle, if you skip out on this garden, it affects more people than just you. It is selfish to take the cup in the garden. Because there are other people in this earth in this church, in this community, that need the cup from you. That's why this sermon is different, because I'm not preaching from intellect. I'm preaching from experience. I remember my dad was dying of cancer. It gave me language, hospital stuff and tests, and then I was able to help other friends of mine with their parents got cancer. What's interesting is before my dad got cancer, I could pray with you without knowledge. I pray with you. Post my dad having cancer, now I don't know just how to pray with you. I know how to speak to you. Because pain gives you a language you can't learn. Do not allow your season to thwart your assignment. I don't know who needs to hear it. Do it broken, do it hurting, do it frustrated. Do it, weary. Do it, crawling. Do it. Because why? Your assignment is heavier than your season. And this is what's very painful, is when you make permanent decisions in temporary seasons. And then the season leaves, and then you go, I wish I would have never made that decision. Because the season has passed. And now the decision I made in the temporary season is last longer than the season did. Be careful what decisions you make. In temporary seasons. So I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I want to, I could keep going. I have a lot I want to say right now, but I think I've said enough. How are you? Ah, I'm good. Life's great. Marriage is great. Business is booming. No, 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 grammatically, the you in that sentence, I'm asking how your things are. I'm asking you how you are. How's your soul? And I have a feeling that I'm not the only one in the room that might wanna say back to God, my soul is crushed. Or what I said to the Lord, my heart hurts. My heart hurts. Because as we're leaving this moment, as we're leaving the garden, I think it's time to reflect on what just happened. So I feel like many of us in the room, we're not, in, we're not entering the garden. We're not even in the middle of the garden. We are leaving the garden right now. It's a season that morning is over and the sun is, like, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a transitional season moment. Yes. Yes. I think, honestly, while we're so, for like six months, I kept telling my friends, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. Come to realize, I was never tired, I was broken. Big difference. And what? I'm okay now, which is weird, right? My life is awesome. But I think life has caught up. And now I'm like, God, I'm tired. My heart hurts. Because I'm leaving the garden. And I end where I started. If I have to go through the garden, I want my oil. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Last week I was in the kitchen and Julia looked at me. She's like, Are you okay? I started weeping. I was like, yep. And then she's like, you've changed. I was like, good or bad? And she was like, oh, for the better. She's like, you preach broken now. Like, as if I like, wasn't before, but like, you, you know this, right? The, the age old quote that the sun, the same sun that melts the snow, hardens the mud. You know that age old quote? The same sun that melts the snow is the same sun that hardens the, the mud. What is it saying? Life's gonna happen. You get to choose what it does to you. Either it will melt you or it will harden you. Pain will change you. You just get to choose in what way. But you will be changed. In what way? Why submit? The sun melts us. That makes us hard. Keep you your head and close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Otherwise, I want to keep talking. And I'm hungry. I want to pray for those in the room that would maybe identify with me and Jesus. I've been in this garden called Gethsemane, place of squeezing, crushing, the oil, and maybe for the first time you're able to admit or even recognize my heart hurts. My heart hurts. If that's you, and I just want to know who I'm praying for just out of identification. If that's you, would you just put your hand up? Same. Yes, me. That's me, my heart hurts, my heart hurts. For whatever reason, my heart, my heart, my heart, man, my heart hurts. Father, I thank you for every hand, every heart that is crushed. Jesus, we thank you in this amazing story you taught us. What does it mean to be human? What it means to suffer? what it means to have deep pain, what it means to be let down, what it means to be discouraged and depressed. God, I thank you for every heart. Would you bandage wounds today? Holy Spirit, would you come be the great physician? Mend some hearts today. Mend some souls today. God, I do pray prophetically right now that there be some people that will go down the list And let go of some people. Ex-wives and ex-husbands and nephews and neighbors and coaches and pastors and people that they've held on to thinking they deserved better. Father, let them realize today what they needed only came from you. God, I, I know we've been looking for heavenly help amongst earthly vessels. Pray for a letting go today. Pray for a redemptive moment today. Could I thank you that darkness may last for a while, but joy comes in the morning. I thank you, Psalms thirty-four, eighteen, that you are close to the brokenhearted. we thank you? We are not alone. We thank you for deep, deep healing today. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen. Tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.